and turn to the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, Haggai chapter 2. As I come this morning, I realize that I have a very narrow focus, maybe a narrow target in my audience this morning, may not apply to everybody as much as normal message would, because this morning I'm going to speak on discouragement. And I know many of you have never experienced discouragement before, right? I'm only going to be talking about five of us here in this place. Of course, all of us at some point probably have experienced a little bit of discouragement. There have been times in our lives where we've looked back and we've seen the way things were maybe and the way things are. And maybe even in that we've sensed some discouragement. I will tell you there have been a few times in my life over the years where I was discouraged. I was discouraged with my own spiritual progress. I was discouraged maybe with the church's progress. I've been discouraged before. I admit that to you. There are moments where God's people, they will face discouragement. But I love this. I love this. God always seems to speak to his people to encourage them to be able to be about the business that he's called them to be about. You know, our God notices our hearts and he notices our lives and he knows exactly how to speak into our lives to encourage us, to renew us, and to revive us. And in the book of Haggai, you will find discouragement. Because again, discouragement is not new. Discouragement did not begin in the 21st century. Discouragement has been around, has been around since the very earliest of creation itself. After the fall, after sin came in, there was so much discouragement that God's people would face. And here in the book of Haggai chapter 2, you will find where people are discouraged, but rather they should be encouraged in the work. So I want to share with you today from Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Haggai the prophet has come, as we've noted in the last few weeks, he has come to encourage the people to be about the building of the temple. Remember, the people of God had rebelled against him, against the God of heaven, and because of that, they had been taken into captivity over in Babylon. 
Their temple was totally destroyed in 586 B.C. Think of how disheartening that must have been. Think of how discouraging that the very place that housed the presence of God had been razed to the ground. And now the best and the brightest had been taken over to Babylon. But all God wasn't through with his people, as he is never through with his people. And he continued to work, and he continued to stir, and he even, he even directed the, the nations themselves as he brought the Persians to defeat the Babylonians. And he moved upon an old king, a king named Cyrus, so that the people would be able to return to Judah. It was quite a liberating spirit that God had given. But as they had come back, they had found the rubble of the temple. They had found the destruction of Jerusalem. And God was speaking to them, obviously, to get about the business. So in 538 B.C., as they had returned, immediately they began to put down the foundation. They began to, to work. But as they looked at the facility, as they looked at the foundation, it began to pale in comparison to those or to those things that some of them remembered. They were looking at it, and it wasn't quite as great, and it wasn't quite as beautiful. Of course, distraction invaded. And distraction allowed them to focus on their own homes instead of the home of God's Spirit. So for all these years, it had lay there, partially begun, but not completed. 520 B.C., eight, so what, 18 years later or so, after the people had returned, Haggai the prophet spoke and said, you got to get about the business. Again, he notes here in chapter 2 they're discouraged. He knows that. Why are they discouraged? They're looking at the former glory, and they are discouraged by the former glory as it relates to the present building of the temple. The former glory, the, the, the past days, the past glory. Notice what it says. Haggai says, how many of you remember the temple of long ago. How many of you remember Solomon's temple? And there would have been some who had been taken away in the captivity that would have remembered. They had come back, right? So they, you had these captiv this captivity. You had the destruction in 586 B.C. So in 538, so what? Do the math with me. 50 years or so later, right? Stay with me. Do some math. They're, they remember. So they're a little older, but they remember. And now some 60 or so years later, they still remember. So they're putting it all together, and they're, they're standing back, and they're like, man, this is not near as good as it used to be. You remember Solomon's? I mean, Solomon's temple, it demonstrated the glory of God. When you looked at it, it was unbelievable. Remember at Solomon's temple, the God came down at the moment of dedication, and his Shekinah glory entered into that place. I mean, it was an awesome place Solomon's temple was. And now you're trying to rebuild, and you're looking at it. It doesn't look as big. It doesn't look as nice. It's not as ornate. And the people become discouraged. The former glory, the past days, When you look at the former glory in the church's life or in your life, I'm going to ask you a question. Will you be discouraged or will you be encouraged? When you look at the glory days, I mean, those were the glory days of Israel. They were thinking again of Solomon and David. The glory days, they were 
that were unprecedented in the history of the nation. And certainly that temple was so, so beautiful. Now, I do believe that as they are looking back some 60-plus years, that they are probably, uh, well, they're probably romanticizing a little bit of the memory. Do you know how we, re- we seem to do that as we get older? Like we begin to romanticize the memories of the past. Now, don't get me wrong. Solomon's temple was unbelievably uh, glorious. It was awesome. It was beautiful. But I do think that they had begun to romanticize some of that. I, I know I, I'm getting a little older now, and I'm getting a little more nostalgic, and I get a little more emotional every now and then. And some of those things that I remember from days past, they seem so good now. I try to go back and remind myself that the good old days were not quite as good as I thought they were, or I think they are now. But, but I go back, I'm thinking to myself, even in church life, going into that little church, Birmingham Ridge Baptist, Brother Holland coming and, and bringing the message, the songs that were sung, one of the songs that we would sing almost every Sunday would be, To God Be the Glory, and what a coincidence today that I walk onto this campus and I hear the chimes playing to God be the glory and then I come into this uh, sanctuary and we sing to God be the glory. That was one of those songs. Man, I could just see Brother Paul leading the music and his face, Jeremy, his face would turn as red as a beat when he would sing. I mean, I would remember that and think, man, this is awesome. Listen to the people singing. Again, I was a child listening to all of that go on and then my preacher would get up and he would bring a message that would literally, uh, it would shake the place sometimes, the way he would present and the way he would bring the truth of God's Word. I remember that. I remember going home on Sunday afternoon. After we finished church, we would go to my grandmother's house where we would have uh, lunch, that is, every Sunday. It would be fried chicken. It would be all the vegetables that would complement that fried chicken. And then the coconut pie afterwards. I remember that. I'm not sure anybody ever has cooked, no offense, ever has cooked chicken, fried chicken like my grandmother did. But you know what? I think I may be romanticizing it just a bit. I look back at it and those things seem so good to me. And they were good. And they were good in retrospect. But I'm not sure they were as good then as they are now in my mind. And I think there may be some of that nostalgia. I mean, Solomon's Temple, again, take nothing away from it, but the people who saw it and, and recognized it, there was something, I think, that, was, that could have even been romanticized in their minds. And they were discouraged. Because the present day didn't seem to be near as good as the glory day. Oh, the glory days. You remember the glory days? When I was at South Tilla High School, our football team struggled to win four games a season. Now, I remember them talking about the glory days. They would talk about the days when we won basically every game we played and we would go down and we would play in some different types of tournaments and championships. It was, it was amazing back in the day. Now, I graduated in 1996. But the glory days they were talking about, late 70s. It had been like 20 years since we'd had those glory days. 20 years since a guy named Willis Wright 
had coached our football team. Oh, yeah, I know many of you are not from Mississippi, but if you had heard of Willis Wright, who eventually went to South Panola and got the, got the winning streak started, they call it the University of South Panola over Mississippi. I mean, they longed for the days of Willis Wright. We're going to do it. I remember one season we won three of our, our, our first three games. We won our first three games, and we thought, yes, the spirit of Willis Wright has invaded this place. We're going to win. We went. I mean, I was excited. I went to the ball games. We won not another game the whole season. Our coach literally went. Our coach literally went to uh, other coaches and said, "Please do not play us for homecoming. We're playing everybody else's homecoming because it gives them a definite win. Please don't do this. It's doing something to the morale of our kids." We can't play homecoming from August or September till November, okay? We can't do everybody's homecoming. They talk about the glory days. And as far as I know, now I've been removed, the glory days are still those late 70s and early 80s. The glory days. It's great to reflect on the glory days. It's great to think about what God had done in the past. But you should never let that discourage you from the work that God's called you to do now. As a matter of fact, they're discouraged because of the glory days of the temple, the glory days of the nation. They're discouraged by that. And they're not wanting to keep working because it just doesn't seem to compare to the beauty and the glory of the previous temple. But instead of being discouraged, they should have been encouraged by the glory days. I want to show you this. Look in uh, verse 5 again. God speaks about the past. He speaks about the glory days. And he says, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. God said, you think about those days of the past. You think about when I established a covenant with you, a relationship with you. Remember how I worked afresh and anew in you when I brought you out of Egypt. You remember those days. But don't remember them to be discouraged by them. You remember them to be encouraged. In other words, you look at the past in order to see God's faithfulness. You note how God has been faithful through that time. And you know that this is the same God who is faithful to you now. Now, this message actually came around October the 17th. If I can do my figuring and from the studies I've had, this is about October the 17th of 520 B.C. What's happening around October of 520 B.C.? Well, around this moment would be when the people of God would celebrate the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles would be a moment where the people would reflect back on how God worked in them as they wandered in the wilderness, how God directed them and guided them. They would build these leafy type of shelters and they would literally kind of move out of their houses and live in these leafy type of shelters for a little time just remember that their God had been there for them. That their God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. 
and he had blessed them even with the guidance that they had received. In verse 5, he said, my spirit remains among you. The word remains or so as it's given to us in the New King James actually means to stand. And it's a participle, which means it is an ongoing stand. It means this, that my spirit is standing with you. It always has stood with you, and it continues to stand with you. In other words, when you look at the past and you think about how I brought you out of Egypt, and here you are celebrating this time in your life, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, just remember that as I was with you then, so I will be with you now. See, that's the reason you look at the glory days. Not to get discouraged, but to get encouraged. You look at the former glory because it reminds you that your God worked in your life then. And this is what's good. He can still work in your life now. Listen this morning. The God who has been with you in the past, the God who has been faithful to you, the God who has seen you to this moment in your life is the same God that still has a plan for you and a purpose for you, and he is the same God who is standing there with you. That's what's awesome. And instead of thinking just about the glory days and it discouraging you, you think about how God worked in and how God continues to work. Now he can do it again. Remembering is a profound, a profound act for us to remember. I love to think back and remember. I, I'm one of these, as I said, as I get older, I'm a little more nostalgic. I love looking at history. I love looking at uh, history, I would say, history overall. And I love looking at personal history. I like hearing what is going on in people's lives. I like hearing what's going on in churches' lives. See, I'm one of these that when I come to a church, I like to kind of study and see what the history of the church is and understand it from years past. I know we may be a lot different than we were 90-plus years ago, but I love kind of understanding the history of whatever church that I've been a part of. At Zachary, I got to uh, celebrate 100 years, the centennial anniversary of Zachary, First Baptist Church. And I was able to kind of help guide that and I worked man I loved it putting together the, here we did a 90th celebration here some time ago and I love being able to look at those stories and think about those things some of you you love thinking about those things too don't you don't you don't you love thinking about the youth trips that some of you chaperoned I'd say that chaperone some of the youth trips some of the worship ministry, some of the events that we've had here on this camp. Don't you like, enjoy doing that? No. <laughs> you had as much fun then as you do now, huh? <laughs> sure you do. You enjoy seeing it. Some of you have come from other churches. And you remember even when you were in other churches, you could talk about those moments of revival or, again, certain trips or certain events. You love those things. You remember that. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, you ought to remember. You ought to find ways to remember. Maybe it's through taking pictures. Maybe you remember some of those trips that you were on. Maybe it was a time of baptism when you have a picture of when you were baptized. You ought to have those moments 
to look back and remind you. You need to remember. God thought it was so important that people remember that he instituted an ordinance called the Lord's Supper. So that when you come to take the Lord's Supper, for example, and you take those, those visual elements, those physical elements, you remember what Jesus Christ did for you. Because there's something about the visual that will inspire you and will speak to you. I don't think it was by accident that he chose the Lord's Supper. You see, there are times in our lives we need to have this. We need to come back and just, just remember a little while. Just see those things. But don't, don't get discouraged. Don't say to yourself, well, I sure wished that, I sure wished that we uh, did the youth group like we did back in the past. No, 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 no. Don't get discouraged. Just say to yourself, you know what? If God could do it then, God can do it now. If we had moments where God spoke to our youth, he can do it now. If God had moments where he moved in our church and we saw people saved and revived and renewed, that's the same God that's standing with us now. I say to you that you ought to look at the former glory. You ought to. You ought to look at the past. But you ought to let it encourage you, not discourage you. Isn't that what God's saying to his people here? They're discouraged because they see the former glory. And he says to them, no, 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 no. Think about, remember, look at the former glory. Think about how I moved in you and how I delivered you. Think how I continue to stand with you. And just as he did in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 13 tells us that God was there leading his people every day. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. And it said he always remained with them and guided them and, and, and directed them. That's the same God that we have. He says something about the former glory, the glory days. And then he points them to the future glory. Uh, I love this. Now, I will tell you that the future glory can discourage you or encourage you as well. So I ask you the question. When you look at the former glory, does it discourage you or does it encourage you? Do you look at the past and see it? And are you discouraged by it in your life right now and maybe the times that you've had and seems like you can't have it? Or are you encouraged that God's faithfulness is still there? And the second would be this future glory. Does it discourage you or does it encourage you? Now, what Haggai says here is that the people are to get to work. He says, work, for I am with you. Verse 4, work. Now, that can be discouraging again. You're looking at the rubble. Yes, you have a foundation. You've made some progress. But there's so much more to go. It's going to be a lot of work and perseverance and endurance. Look, when you get into a, a time when you're working on something, it's going to take you a while to get it done. You know what it's like. Like, you can begin with some gusto. You can get it, like, you can start, but when you realize it's going to take you several more weeks. You know how many puzzles have just stayed on our table for weeks? We, we kind of like, we haven't put a puzzle together lately, but we kind of, we're some of those that when we go off on vacation, a lot of times we'll buy puzzles. 
of the scenes or whatever. So when we get back, at some point, we'll put them together. And it is great because the first day or two, like we can make progress, it's like, boom, we've got like a quarter of it done just like that. But that means 800 more pieces are left. And after a while, it becomes, well, you know, things of life and all of that. And it's just like, oh, are we ever going to get this finished? Are we ever going to get this done? And at some time, you got to eat, right? So if it's on your table, you can only eat in the living room so long. I would eat there every day. But that's what my wife says. She says we got to eat in the, in the dining room sometime. we got to eat in here. So we'd, we'd have to, we'd, you know, it just, you, you get started, and then sometimes it just seems like it's going to take you a little more to more do. I mean, it's, it's got work. And that can be discouraging to some people. Look, God could have spoken from heaven and recreated the second temple. He could have. My God's powerful enough to do that. But God said, I want you to work. I want you as my people to rebuild this temple. Work. And work will bring with it difficulties. You'll have to have mental toughness. You'll have to have the resources. But I want to slip back a moment to this. God never said you had to work by yourself. As a matter of fact, he knows you and I can never accomplish anything by ourselves. In that passage I gave you where it says, my spirit is standing with you or my spirit continues to stand with you, God said, I'm right here and I'm going to give you exactly what you need to fulfill your job, your work. And our God is still like that. He never calls you to do anything he doesn't empower you to do. If God asks you to do something, I promise you he will give you the resources to do it. The Lord said that we're to be witnesses. We're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. He said we're to be witnesses. That's what he told his disciples. And yet, what did he also say? He had said to them, wait. Wait till the promised one comes. Because he knew that they could not even fulfill the witness as they should without his power. So what happened? The Holy Spirit came. It's called the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and empowered them. And they did tremendous things for the Lord. You and I in our work for the kingdom, we need to be reminded, especially when we, we start getting discouraged, we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is there to empower us and help us. He didn't call you to do this on your own. About the time you're asking yourself, well, really, what, does it, what difference am I making? What little difference am I making in the classroom? What little difference am I making in my workplace? What little difference am I making... I say to you who are discouraged and you're trying to look at these different places of your life, I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit has a way of taking that which you do and multiplying it for the kingdom of God and its effectiveness. You don't ever underestimate what God wants you to do and how he's going to use it, you. Every stone, every stone that was placed 
God was using that individual to rebuild this temple, and he is going to effect it for the kingdom purposes. I know there are times you think, can I do this? Am I going to be able to, am I going to, be able to do this for the kingdom? The Spirit of God will give you exactly what you need to make sure that you can do it for the kingdom. I remember a few years ago, and this on my mind, obviously, because tonight Dr. Smith is coming, and I encourage you to come and be here. I know it's like a senior adult Bible study, and some of you are afraid you're going to get labeled. <laughs> but Bible study is for all. So I hope that you come tonight and you hear Dr. Smith explain, a wonderful expositor of the Scripture. But I remember walking his office one day. I pastoring in Picayune, Mississippi, and walked in Argel's office. He looked at me, and he said, Hey, Reggie, he said, Are you going to First Baptist Zachary? And I was startled because I was like, Nobody's supposed to know about this. The committee has talked to me, and they said, Everything is confidential, but you know preachers. <laughs> I was startled. I was like, well, how does he know this? And I realized the interim pastor at First Zachary, Dr. O.J., had told Dr. Smith that they were considering me at Zachary. So he said, are you going? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, don't you know about it? And I said, I just don't know. I don't know if I can do this. And he said, you don't know if you can do this? I said, Dr. Smith, I'm 27 years old. Going into that church, there's a lot of things that have happened I just don't know if I can do it. And he looked at me and he said, you're right. You can't do it. I said, thank you for the vote of the confidence that you have, the vote of assurance that you've given me. And I know you're about to give me a spiritual thing about God doing it. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, you remember, you remember that movie? He said, I think it was Tom Cruise. And I'm thinking, now, how is this going to be a spiritual story? You would think a seminary professor would come up with somebody better than Tom Cruise, you know, as a... He said, you remember that movie, Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise is in, is, he's a lawyer, and he's up before the judge, and he, he's trying to make his case, and the judge looks at him and says, son, are you in over your head? He said, you remember what Tom Cruise said? Tom Cruise said, absolutely, absolutely. He said, you're going to get there, and there are going to be days when you think, I am in over my head. But that's when God's going to give you exactly what you need. He's going to give you the wisdom and the resources. He's going to give you exactly what you need. Because get this. This is what he said to me. He said, if ministry is not a challenge, is it really ministry? If ministry is something that you can do in your own effort, is it really ministry? But knowing that God will give the resources. And listen, that's what God says here. God says, I will give you the resources. Verse 6, I love it. He says, once more, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations. He said, you don't forget that I am the one who owns the silver and the gold. He said, you don't get discouraged. You get encouraged because I am the one that can work to give you exactly what you need. Oh, Ezra says that when the first group starts coming back to rebuild the temple... That God moves upon a pagan, foreign king, Cyrus. And it says that he begins to give the people what they need in order to rebuild and work. And God is one who can provide for us even if he decides to take the, the largest, 
the most influential pagan out there and provide for us, God can do it because all resources are his. Oh, I remember what that old country preacher used to say. That old country preacher used to say, my God owns the cattle of a thousand hills, and if I'm in need, all he's got to do is go to the auction barn and take care of some cows and sell a few, and we've got it taken care of. You and I, we have a God that has it all, a God who will provide for us. When we get weary with the work, when we get discouraged, can we do it? The work that's before us, I want you to know that God will give us all the resources. Because there is a greater glory. There is a greater glory. He says in verse 9, The glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former. And in this place I will give peace. He says, I want you not to be intimidated by the work. I want you to be motivated because I got something better to do here. Remember this temple is still going to be the place at this time in the life of the nation, this is going to be a place where the Spirit of God will dwell. The Spirit of God. I mean, the Holy of Holies. And he says, I'm going to do something here in this temple. You're going to see work accomplished. You're going to see peace brought to this city, Jerusalem, the city of of peace, of shalom. He said, you'll see peace, but you'll also see peace brought to others who will come and seek the one true God. I think some of you in your Sunday school classes this morning are going to talk about the dedication of Solomon's temple. In the dedication of Solomon's temple, literally, Solomon had hoped and prayed that this would be a place where the name of the God of Israel would reside. And that name would find, it would find recognition among the nations. They would make his name great in that place. There was a greater glory that was to come. Now, I certainly don't want to over-spiritualize a text or take it out of its context. And I do believe that for the most part, what Haggai is speaking about is that second temple that was being rebuilt. But I cannot help from seeing also the parallels of the future glory that is coming. The future glory that was coming in Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus came, his name was Emmanuel, God with us. He tabernacled among men. The holy presence, the holy presence as they had understood the Holy of Holies there in the temple, it would be embodied in Jesus Christ. There was a greater glory that was coming even from Haggai's day. His name would be Jesus. And Jesus would even refer to himself as a temple, would he not? He would say, you tear this temple down and in three days it will be rebuilt because there was a greater glory. Jesus himself was the greater glory that came here on this earth. And friends, he is the greater glory that's going to return again one day. See, I don't think I take it out of context when I go to Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 12 captures 
this idea, the same passage. I want to just read it to you as we close. Verse 25 of Hebrews 12 says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Get this. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Hear the same words, the same terminology. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. What he says is, there is coming a kingdom, a greater glory. And that kingdom cannot be shaken whatsoever. It can't be torn. It can't be... It is a kingdom that will endure. And people from all nations will come to experience what Haggai calls the desire of all nations. The desire of all nations, his name's Jesus. There's a greater glory coming. It came in Jesus, the incarnate. It will come one day when Jesus breaks the eastern sky. So listen, I look at all the former glory, and I'm not discouraged, I'm encouraged. I look at the future glory, and I know it's going to be a lot of work until he returns, but I'm not discouraged by the work. I'm encouraged. Because, friends, you and I have something better to look forward to. Now, listen, I think we have something to look forward to here on this earth. I'm going to tell you, I still think there are glory days ahead for Temple Baptist Church. If I didn't, I would not be in this pulpit next Sunday. I still believe that he has a plan for us, and I believe he is going to work within us, and I believe there are going to be some great days here on this earth of ministry and missions that we can have, that we can be a part of. But, oh, I know for a fact, when Jesus returns, there is going to be a greater glory than we could ever imagine. And I want to be faithful until that day. Isn't that what Hebrews that we are acceptable in our service, that we're faithful, that we're encouraged. Today, I pray that you would be encouraged to be about the work. I pray that you would look at the former glory and it would encourage you, but I pray you'd look at the future glory and it would motivate you to new heights for the kingdom of God, that it would motivate you to see that glory established here on this earth. May we be people who are faithful to the task. May we be encouraged in our work. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. Again, we thank you and we praise you for what you have done and for what you're going to keep doing and what you're going to eventually do on our behalf. God, I come to you this morning Pray for my brothers and sisters 
those who are saved in this place that you have used in the past, and now you are renewing and you are reviving, you are refreshing to use them again. God, I pray that we would see your faithfulness even to us as a church and that we would know that that faithfulness continues to the present and to the future. God, I pray that we long, we long for you, your son, the desire of nations, that we long for a greater glory. And that in that longing, that we are moved to work on your behalf. God, this morning, there are some in this place who've never just surrendered their lives to you. And if you were to come right now, they wouldn't understand the greater glory because, Lord, they would be lost for eternity. God, I pray for those who are lost that you would save. I pray for those of us who are saved that we would serve. That is my simple prayer this morning. Use this commitment time, this invitation time to do your work. We pray it in Jesus' name.